Good evening, good morning. Uh, my name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Wolf, our webcast for consciousness and culture. I have with me after Oma, after welcome on Radio Evolve. Thanks for having me, Thomas. After your president and core faculty in the Meridian University in California, and you are focused on the emergence of human capacities within transformative learning in communities. And we have talked a lot about commons. We have talked about uh, dialogical spaces. We have talked about the new capacities of coming together on the internet as we do right now. And um, out of this conversation came the idea to have a radio webcast about, we called it the convening the dialogical commons. It was a term that we come up, somehow came together to. And I would like to just start this conversation uh, asking you, convening the dialogical commons sounds like a lofty term. Um, what is that? What are we talking about here? I enjoy how the phrase emerged in our conversation last time, Thomas. Of course, the idea and the phenomenon of what we could refer to as the dialogic commons is not at all new. That, uh, that as you emphasized in our, in our last conversation, that uh, our emergence as a complex culture species is very much associated with what happened around the campfire. How we engaged the emergence of language, and, and of course, the 99% of the time period of language is spoken language. So when we speak about the dialogic commons, we are perhaps first and foremost speaking about spoken language and what can be done through so what can be done through spoken language in the service of human flourishing. What I find so interesting is that we seem to be uh, I mean, we are in interesting times. There's no question about that. And that it's not necessarily a good term. Uh, there, there's a lot of crisis going on and um, we don't even have to go into it. But there's something around the COVID-19 crisis and the, let's call it global lockdown and social distancing, where there is um, a change in how we talk to each other uh, that... I think won't go away anymore. There is the explosion of Zoom. Let's call it this way. It's of course not just Zoom, but let's call it explosion of Zoom. All of a sudden, an internet video conference platform, uh, I think uh, tenfolded their subscription. And all of a sudden, everyone I'm talking to is having conversations on Zoom. Uh, this morning, I had a conversation with a lovely friend in Italy who is having a Krishnamurti meditation center next to Assisi. And he said he never was on, on the internet before. But now, since the COVID-19 crisis, he started to have conversations with his friends in New Zealand and Australia every week on Zoom. 
everywhere I look, there are Zoom online conferences popping up. It seems um, that our way of communicating, forced by this crisis of COVID-19, forced by the social distancing, broke through a wall. And all of a sudden, we find that uh, there is always an upside to a downside. And there's something where we can come together in a new way, just having conversations. Having conversations with friends, uh, people we want to talk to, and are able to do this in a way that is um, that hasn't been possible five years ago. And that, um, if you connect it to the very simple anthropological fact that our humanness, our human culture, as you mentioned before, came out of we, something I don't know, 50,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, we're having conversations around campfires. These conversations around campfires, you can say, and it's really not too far-fetched, is something that created us as humans. We started to cultivate fire, uh, to come around the fire, and in some ways started to have conversations and develop conversations and develop language, and with developing language, we developed culture. And you could say everything came from that, coming together, talking, creating narratives, creating stories, creating ideas, creating arguments, logic later on, and all what our culture is about. And a friend of mine, uh, Jordan Hall, uh, coined this term that what's happening right now is the discovery of digital campfires. People are sitting around this digital campfire, Zoom is one of them, and they're having conversations and knowledge and wisdom and insight and narratives start to share in a very new way. It's very different than Twitter. It's very different than Facebook. It's a much more a person-to-person, -person, in fact, eye-to-eye -eye conversation that we're having right now. But um, what we're thinking about, the backgrounds, our social environments, all are kind of melting into a new form of conversation. And there's a new form of collective wisdom building around that. And um, as you pointed out, this collective wisdom that is forming this way is a form of commons because there's shared wisdom building up in a global ne network of conversations that is worth looking into. So that's, I think, what we are talking about right now here. Truly, Thomas, as you said, that there is a breakthrough of possibilities here. The technology itself of video conferencing has been around for many years. Then when Zoom emerged as a market leader, the, um, the innovation adoption curve, the diffusion curve began. There were early adopters uh, of Zoom. There were early adopters of video conferencing. But of course, this was largely driven by business, the emergence of remote teams, so the technology was there, but its potential and its potential for cultural transformation and its potential for societal transformation has been activated by the disruption of the pandemic in a very powerful and hopeful way. And um, I really see this as something potentially very positive. 
because it's um, kind of bringing back the human factor, the conversations. I mean, I'm not denying that a lot of things are going on uh, that are, uh, are maybe not uh, exactly what we're talking about, but this meaningful conversations with people who connect with each other because they are of kindred spirit and usually don't have the chance to talk to each other is a new phenomenon. And also uh, people putting these conversations online on YouTube, as we also do with Radio Evolve, and sometimes thousands, uh, sometimes thousands of thousands of people are listening to these conversations or getting part of this conversation. So there's a whole new phenomenon uh, establishing itself that um, is uh, a different way of how we create knowledge, how we create wisdom. And it's not competition-driven. It's not, uh, or let's say, not only competition-driven. Of course, the YouTube channels are all part of the marketing the, uh, sphere, but there's a lot of YouTube channels and uh, online webcasts that are more or less comments. They're free. People do it out of love. People put it online out of love, and people are listening, sharing, and participating in the conversation out of interest. And this is not just happening in little villages. It's not ha happening just in little counties somewhere. And it's not happening in, in a cafe in the city. It's happening in the noosphere of this globe. And I think it has the potential to uh, create a new um, form of global sense making and a new kind of collective finding out who we want to be, the kind of society that we want to create, the kind of culture that we want to have. So I find this something very interesting. And the power of what you're describing only intensifies as we develop further in our dialogic capability. Writing is only 5,000 years old. So if we if we take 200,000 years as the, as the marker of our cultural evolution as Homo sapiens sapiens, twice wise, then writing is only 2.5% of our cultural evolution. And what we have been refining as a species for 200,000 years is the powers of speech and, of course, the associated corresponding powers of listening. And if dialogic capability is understood as what we're able to do with speaking and listening and what we're able to do in terms of sustaining communities and sustaining human development through these dialogic practices, then we are truly at a threshold of uh, going to the next level in terms of who can come around the campfire, who we can convene, and what the possibilities there are, and how much we, can, we have the power now of convening people who are holding different perspectives, and not only have civility in the conversation, but begin the dialogic capability of listening 
through a process of emptying so that listening can go to a whole other level. What you're saying about listening, I think, is more important than it looks at the first glance. Because uh, uh, you, you talked about how we developed uh, the, the capacity of writing books uh, something like 5,000 years ago. But uh, there is a certain kind of culture that we developed with the capacity of writing books, which we even call the book culture. And the book culture made a tremendous change how we developed together um, our cultural foundations. Exactly that it was not around campfires uh, in small groups talking to each other, but someone or a group of people, but usually someone basically writing wisdom down in voluminous books in the end. And these books handed over. And at some point, uh, the holy book was uh, the DNA of our culture. It's certainly true for uh, Christianity. It's certainly true for Islam. But it's also true for the Vedantic culture. That uh, uh, what made our culture uh, culture was held in written form. And uh, reading it and... Uh, and, and writing was uh, something that's more done in solitude. It's very different than being here with you and being what we call a dialogue, which is not just my thoughts, my whatever, but it's a back and forth, it's a flow that lives out of listening, emergence, and in some way it's a renewal of something that uh, I assume was the foundation of, of cultural development before we started writing and which we regain in a new way right now. And we will see, definitely will have also its, its shadow sides and, uh, and its downsides. I have no doubt about that. But there's something very co-creative, very alive, a very uh, together uh, as a, potent a new potential that this form of cultural meaning-making is not just what I put in books or even in blogs or in, or in Facebooks, but something that uh, comes out of direct encounter with you right now or with conversations where we meet face-to-face -face and the process of meaning-making is together made in a collaborative way. And I think that has really a, a, a power to also change how we how we create the societies. Truly. Each threshold, each breakthrough in communications technology has been a great disruptor. We could begin with writing, um, the printing press, uh, television, social media. Each major emergence of communications technology has opened a positive and negative possibilities. Television was one way. The printing press was one way. In some ways, writing was one way for centuries. But even now, if we look at literacy worldwide, we could say writing is also one way. 
But video conferencing emerges, doesn't take hold that much beyond growing use in, in uh, business and professions. But now, as you were suggesting earlier, with the pandemic, the possibilities of connecting through video conferencing and the way we can link up across long distances and face-to-face and even in some ways more face-to-face than usually because if we're sitting in a group of 30 or 100 people, we are actually not as intimately attuned to each other's faces and how we're able to sense the other's experience, how we're affecting others through the intimacy of video conferencing. So we know the degree to which emotion is mediated, expressed through the face and how responsive we are to each other's faces through mirror neurons, etc. So the whole neurobiology of emotion and its central articulation through through the through facial expression becomes relevant here and then to circle back to listening dialogic practice as the practice through which listening develops and likely listening also develops in leaps like other kinds of development. And I think one of these leaps we, we, we're experiencing right now, also because, again, uh, we were forced to, because um, COVID-19 somehow forced us as a culture uh, to go online and just do it. And again, I hear from a lot of people that they never would have done it first because they kind of uh, don't like it. And second, that they never would have um, thought that one could really meet online. There's something that I started to call the computer hypnosis. That usually because we're so used already as a culture to, to be with one's laptop and to do my thing with my laptop and even to watch video on my laptop, uh, but it's a certain mental state I'm in, uh, watching, uh, doing my stuff, watching YouTube videos. It's my private sphere, and I'm basically with me and my technology that when I go on in a video conference, it's hard to get out of this mental sphere. Or what I'm really aware of is the things I'm usually aware of, my computer, the technology, and um, it's hard to not objectify you as, as being some kind of YouTube video <laughs> that happens to talk back. But um, we are, uh, because we are forced to kind of uh, go beyond this, uh, the hyp- hypnosis uh, starts to get broken open. And I even w- would say to the degree that um, more and more of us learn that uh, technology is secondary. It, it helps us, but um, it, the conversation more and more, I, I don't care about the computer. I don't care that you are literally a thousand miles physically apart from myself. I am with my real experience uh, that I'm with here 
right now together for real. That's why I also started to say virtual meeting is a misnomer because you're not virtual, I'm not virtual, and we are meeting for real. That is, that is helped by technology. That's true, but it's completely secondary to accept and, and let in of the realness of this conversation breaks through a spell. And that something is, is, is possible that um, I just find uh, tremendously powerful and then to be able to um, have a conversation and also relearn as a culture uh, the, the art of conversation, of listening, um, is something that I think uh, we should collectively lean into because it's, if I may say so, a new technology that can be very wholesome for our society. We become real to each other, perhaps even to ourselves, through sharing worlds. That uh, what you were describing earlier as a hypnotic trance of the computer, where the computer serving to further isolate us into a mental world. So, but as has been said, uh, uh, we inhabit life worlds. Uh, Lebenswelt as, uh, so we are able to share worlds in a whole different way now. And the better we listen, the deeper our experience of each other and ourselves as real and real in this moment. Even the way during the, the, the way in which during the pandemic, we have entered each other's homes, mm-hmm. you know, which is our life world, our Lebensbelt. And uh, the way in which this entry into each other's homes gives us a window into some of the differences, some of the differences in privilege and status and other kinds of differences that get trivialized or disavowed. We now are in a place where we can engage. And the more we recognize and engage these differences, the more we become real to each other. Just as a point in case of what you're describing right now, um, I want to share a story. Um, An online meeting that we organized uh, just a couple of days ago. In fact, it was part of the Integral European Conference that uh, was supposed to happen in Hungary, but because of COVID-19 was not able to happen. And in fact, I, I had a couple of conversations with Ben Ziganti, the main organizer, and out of this conversation, also the idea was born to really try it online. And I think they, they had a tremendous success doing that, having an online uh, uh, integral conference. And as part of the conference, Elizabeth and I uh, created an online panel where we uh, talked about global integral and we, where we brought friends from the Philippines 
friends from South Africa, friend, and a friend from India, to talk to a mainly a European um, American audience about the necessity of Integral to become global. And how even something like the Integral theory, let's say, has a strong Western, you may even say, uh, American bias, in it, and, and that people from the global South feel that integral means getting integrated into a Western context, and that um, this is maybe not what global integral really could be about. And what was so powerful that this was a real conversation of cultures. Because um, Ank, our friend from South Africa, uh, we, we asked all of them uh, to, to pose a question to the audience and uh, then the audience also come together in small groups. And Ank, uh, uh, just because of the situations right now uh, in, in the US, asked a very simple question. Uh, why are you killing my people? Why are you killing my people? You know, of course, uh, the police killing in in in, in the US was the re was the reason for for this question. And um, just to have him sitting there in Cape Town uh, talking to us uh, in this global convention, we were something like I think seventy people on the, on, on, on this Zoom, on this Zoom call. And holding us this between and, and experiencing him as a person with us in the intimate way you're just describing, but also feeling his pain, his background, uh, created something that uh, uh, you cannot write in, in the smartest books or uh, essays about uh, colonialism, neocolonialism, and uh, 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 global racism you, you cannot write about it. this is there was something happening between us in our intimacy in our listening that uh, uh, just did something to all of us and in the same way our friend Davan from from India he was sitting in our will asked a question to Ank in South Africa and to Pai a spiritual teacher and friend in the Philippines in front of this mainly European American audience, he asked the two others, so how can we talk about this without othering the white people? Mm. So to have uh, people from the global South talking to each other in front of European people, also how we can talk about these neo-colonial realities without, on the other side, othering the, the Western whites in the same way, uh, was again a very intimate moment. So this was only possible because we came together in real time, in a real meeting, on a global scale, and somehow, to some degree, um, uh, the world was talking with, with each other. It was not just personal meeting. Of course, it was, person, it was very personal, but all cultures, all perspectives were meeting. And this is something um, that... Um, I have never experienced in this way before, and it's possible because of this technology. Yes. Yes. You, what a 
beautiful, compelling example you have described of uh, not only perspective sharing, but world sharing, hmm. which in some ways is more difficult to do and requires a more complex way of speaking so that when Ang says, why are you killing my people? It is not a, this is not descriptive speech. It is expressive speech. And it is expressive speech utilized with a certain rhetoric capability on his part. I mean, of course, rhetoric in the, in the positive sense. Um, um, not in the sense of not being sincere or authentic, but for achieving another threshold of connection through the expressive speech. And in the same way, uh, uh, another friend of us was part of this conversation. She's a, um, a also spiritual teacher from Tasmania, uh, south, south of uh, Australia, um, expressing her relationship to land, to Tasmania's land. I guess maybe none of us has ever been in Tasmania. Uh, and uh, probably none of us will, will go to Tasmania. And there's someone uh, with, with the background of an, uh, a Tasmanian Aborigine background, a culture that's deeply rooted in, in, in being rootedness in land. Um, talks to us Europeans and even most of the, the Americans who are kind of as colonizers have a very other relationship to land, if at all. Uh, uh, and all of a sudden, it's not just um, people talking and cultures talking, it's also land talking to each other. Particularly if an Aborigine voice uh, tell, talks to you with her deep appreciation, how she's birthed by land and how land is her. Uh, and then you're having a conversation uh, that it really spans around the world. Uh, you feel earth in a way that we were not able to feel earth before. So what I'm saying is that, that this new conversation, they build something in relationship that uh, at least if we, if we develop this wisely, I'm sure it is also up to us to develop this wisely. That, uh, there's a lot of things that can be done wrong here, but if it developed wisely, something very powerful uh, can be created how we live together, how we understand each other, how we can listen to each other that has not been able before. And to point out one thing that uh, uh, you uh, pointed so much out to me in one of our last conversations, nobody owns this knowledge. It's a commons. When we have this conversation, we are enriched by each other, but nobody can take this Uh, it's, it's, it's something that is reaching all of us and it's, it, it is enriching all of us by contributing all of us to it 
but uh, nobody can take it and run away with it, as far as I can see, at least in, the, in this conversation. So it has a quality of commons in that, in, that, in that sense that it belongs to all of us. And it also changes the way how we develop knowledge, how we develop um, wisdom, uh, because it happens in this common sphere of the internet. And and here there is the danger of the means of communication, the particular technology, staying available. Mm-hmm. So uh, Zoom has is the market leader right now. Uh, other platforms are uh, beginning to succeed in uh, claiming more market share. There's a couple of platforms out of China. So the competition is intensifying and that will uh, bring costs down for the average person. So that's a good thing. Uh, uh, The value of Zoom stock went up immediately and very significantly by several billion in terms of uh, Zoom's market cap. So all of this shows that this global dialogic commons that we are anticipating. Um, You and Elizabeth are particular innovators in this, having begun well before the pandemic to harvest the possibilities of this technology. You recently taught a course on um, a a free course um, teaching people how to do how to how to do this and uh, my understanding is you're doing it again and that there has been great interest in it which all re- which reinforces what you and I've been speaking to today so one important question is how will this technology that is supporting this inflection in possibilities for the digital commons. How will this technology become available? Will it be, and how will the owners of this technology shape its future? And here we have a, uh, have a, a certain kind of paradox and contradiction. In general, capitalism has been a destroyer of the commons, uh, natural resources commons, and other kinds of cultural commons. This technology has been brought to us by capitalism. And this technology and the kind of digital, excuse me, well, yes, there's the digital commons. We spoke about that last time. Um, but the kind of dialogic commons now possible through video conferencing is also already beginning to produce the dimensions of solidarity essential to the unraveling of capitalism and the forming of a post-capitalist institutions and a robust 
robust business institutions that are post-capitalist. That's at least uh, my hopes, and I think there are justified reasons for these hopes. I I put this out so uh, uh, kind of careful because I remember all the hopes that we had initially for the internet and how the internet got turned into something that got re-owned by a big uh, business in a way that really made it to something that nobody of us in the beginning of the internet revolution thought would be possible, but it was. So uh, um, we have to see uh, if this danger will come again in this. And uh, uh, just just to state it, one has to be careful, but there is also something, as you, you're describing it, that um, there is a global solidarity building around this also. It has its own power. Because I see this also very much in the terms, if I may uh, get philosophical a little bit, of, of uh, one of my uh, philosophical he heroes, Jürgen Habermas, and what he calls uh, that the big conflict of our times is the conflict between the system worlds and the life worlds. The system worlds are organized by abstract uh, uh, factors like profit, like uh, bureaucratic uh, power uh, uh, and, 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 for, and formal structures. Life worlds are holding together through real relationship and values. And what this allows is relationship. What I described with you, uh, to you about uh, this uh, this conference at the Integral European uh, Conference uh, with our friends from Tasmania, South Africa, Philippines, India, uh, a created relationship. So there, there is the, the potential uh, that uh, there's a relationship building where the life worlds are gaining strength. Because Habermas said what we're experiencing is the colonization of the life worlds through the system worlds. And what he's describing is we need a, a, to counteract, to gain back the system worlds to the life worlds. So I see this, what we're, what, what we're doing right now, as a chance uh, uh, to uh, introduce life worlds to the digital spheres in a way that we have never done before and create a, a global network of relationships uh, that can hold our global solidarity in a way where we meet person to person, community to community, culture to culture in a way that is not mediated through big media or through algorithms, but is held by one-to-one, face-to-face, group-to-group relationships. Well said. Human cultures, human communities have known forever the power of communicative action. And we understand, thanks to Habermas, we understand communicative action even better now in terms of the distortions of modernity. So we are reclaiming the power of communicative action at a whole other octave now. So the statement, all talk and no action, that 
that that statement is can be recognized as as failing to understand the powers of speech and particularly the powers of expressive speech mm-hmm. that writing lends itself more to descriptive reflective and interpretive statements but speech orality and relationally engaging with these interweaving life worlds now we come to a whole other music in communicative action i mean again uh one has to be careful uh because um Uh, there's a lot of complexity and we, we have to see how we can develop this. And uh, I, I don't want to pr- proclaim a kind of a new utopia. And it's also in the difficult times that we're in right now, it's not necessarily the time to proclaim new utopias. Uh, but I think um, to see the opportunity that we are having right now to come together in this way and ask for collective participation in this global dialogue and to find ways where we can create networks of communication, where we can relate to each other in this way and are able, I really have the vision of networks of global uh, personal relationships where we share stories, where we hear each other, where we uh, find ways to resonate with each other in a way that uh, makes this possible. And to investigate how this can help to um, allow our life worlds to grow together and to allow to create mutual understanding in this and not the distance of, uh, of the written sculpt, uh, culture and the distance also of uh, media one-way culture and also not the algorithm uh, algorithmic kind of uh, uh, attention-grabbing culture that we uh, experience with um, uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, that this is not algorithmic, what we are doing here. Uh, this is uh, uh, held by, uh, by human-to-human, heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind relationship. Uh, that the, the reason why we're having this conversation, <coughs> excuse me, from the West Coast of the U.S., to Central Europe is because there's human resonance and to develop this culture of friendship around um, I think is something that um, um, can make a difference. Profoundly so. Um, Prior to modernity, human communities are functioning based on what we could broadly refer to as friendship or conviviality Mm -hmm. or another term that's been used is communitas. Mm -hmm. Modernity begins to replace it, replace those ways of meeting human needs with the institutions of modern society. 
So this is a profound possible turning point. And as you said, we need to be stay aware of all the dystopian possibilities as well as the human flourishing possibilities. Mm -hmm. We already see the dystopian dynamic underway in terms of the rise of various styles of fascism. Mm -hmm. Philippines, the US, Poland, Hungary, and so on, India. So we know this is to be true of any technology, and this will be true also of video technology, that it can be used to do harm. Um, will, uh, will uh, and now especially with uh, large gatherings being dangerous, there's a question of will some kind of very large scale use of Zoom and other video conferencing technologies be put to use for essentially authoritarian purposes mm. for to deepen uh, divisions, to incite riots. Um, certainly the internet has been used to organize some of the looting that we have seen damage the power of the protests that has been happening in the last few days in the U.S. No, I think we have to be, uh, we have to be aware of all of this. And um, at the same time, I think we also have to be aware of the openings that we're experiencing with having this. That there is a new sphere, and I really think also about Tyler Desjardins' description of the noosphere as being a human sphere that I think was never as close a human sphere as it has the chance to become right now uh, to, to hold this. And also human heart, uh, human connection, uh, human wisdom uh, weaving together. And this weaving together of human heart, of new, new human knowledge, of human relationship is also uh, what you called uh, uh, the convening of the dialogical commons. And to see this and also to appreciate that and um, to not miss the opportunity that uh, we have here. And it's also dependent on us to make something out of it. So I, this is also in that sense for everyone listening to this, a call to action to find his or her own ways to start this weaving in local communities, in global communities, in local communities, however, because um, there's something possible that we should um, um, try to uh, find out how this can be uh, of use for our human aspirations. And Thomas, in terms of Our dialogic practice, yours and mine, in the last hour or so, I'm appreciating how questions have not been necessary. Hmm. That uh, our curiosity and our listening and our 
responsiveness to what the other has spoken has been sufficient for us to be carried by the river right. together. As we also at the end of our hour, uh, after 45 minutes uh, after, uh, thank you very much for this conversation. And I appreciate very much that we are doing this uh, in this collective shared way and finding new ways of the human communication to find its way into um, online realities, meeting each other face-to-face, voice-to-voice, listening to this thing. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. I feel nourished by how we have been together in a spacious dialogic conference. Thank you.